0: want to try to keep us in a posture of worship tonight. You know, Good Friday services are probably one of my most favorite services to be a part of, and that's because we get to remind ourselves of the rugged cross. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit in, in just a moment, but I want us to try to work with some tension tonight the team is going to stay with me because we're going to take communion together honestly like this is the first time we're taking communion since last year when we went into lockdown so this is a special moment I know for many of us in the room tonight and I'm thankful to be able to spend this Friday with you family some of you brand new we've just started to get to know one another and some of you have been around for a really long time But I pray that as we receive communion tonight, that we would do so with glad hearts, but somber hearts. Because here's the tension that I want us to grab a hold of and I want us to stay with tonight. And I wanna encourage you with, don't rush through Friday. Because a lot of us, we try to get to the joy of Sunday. And in doing so, we rob the cross of the power that it is so can I encourage us tonight let's not rush through Friday can we stay in the brutal moment of the cross and once again realize and remember what our Savior Jesus did I want to take us to a piece of scripture tonight Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 15 and it says this Paul the Apostle writing he says be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit Isn't that crazy? You could write that right now in in 2021. Make sure that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. And then listen to what he says. He says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, but by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And when you were buried with him in baptism, many of us in here have stepped into the waters of baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. We'll talk about that on, on Sunday. Who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, he made us alive with him and forgave us all of our trespasses. And this is what I want us to focus tonight because this is why the cross is so important. Verse 14 tells us why the cross is a big deal. Because he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. And So tonight as we honor and celebrate Good Friday, I want to speak to us from the subject A tragic triumph a tragic triumph as we focus our hearts on the sacrifice of Jesus and we remember Good Friday will you pray with me just one more time in this moment Jesus we honor you we thank you for your word and I pray tonight that as we honor you in this moment that you will once again help us remember the power of the cross. And it's by your cross that the enemy has been disarmed and put to shame in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Show of hands, how many of you love superhero movies? Come on. No, like where are you at? Put them up big and tall. No judgment. Come on, we're like okay, cool. Everybody loves a good superhero. It's all right. So still, we can giggle on Good Friday. It's fine. <laughs> I love a good superhero movie, but here's the type of superhero I, movie I dislike, and that is when the superhero dies at the end. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Anybody? Anybody else with me? Like those are the war, you want. How many of you are with me? You want the superhero to triumph. Right? Like we all want the hero to win and, and you want to see them live happily ever after and, and do what they're going to do. And, and I love me a good superhero movie where the hero stays all the way through and he flies off into the sunset or rides off into the sunset or, or does whatever he does into the sunset. But the one where the hero dies, that's rough for me. And I don't know about you, but like Marvel Comics lately have really destroyed me because they've made these movies where they keep on killing the hero. And I'm like, guys, this is not for your brand. Like, this is horrible. Right? People came out of the movie theaters crying and were like, what's wrong? And they're like, oh, my gosh, it was the most devastating thing ever. And Good Friday was the tragic crescendo to a week of ministry and conflict, companionship and confusion, acceptance and acknowledgement, betrayal and denial. Good Friday was both the beginning and the end. But it was also the end and the beginning of God's great plan in and through Jesus. But to understand... Friday, we have to go back to Monday. Can we do a little backwards work tonight? We have to go back to Monday, specifically March 30th, AD 33. On the heels of what has become known as Palm Sunday, we talked about that last, this last Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem having just been the receiver of great adoration and worship. And much to the disliking of the Pharisees and the Roman guard. And while this could have been overlooked, what would happen next would push the proverbial first domino in a chain reaction throughout the rest of this week. So Jesus would come riding in triumphantly, and now the Pharisees and, and the Jews and the, and the Roman guard, they're frustrated, and all of a sudden the plot starts to thicken and things start to get a, a little tense, and Jesus, knowing this, would, would push the first domino and we find that domino pushed in Luke chapter nineteen forty one through 48, and it says this, as he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, if you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, for the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Now, in this moment, Jesus is talking about which which would eventually be the the destruction of the temple. But then watch what happens. Here's where the dominoes pushed. The hero pushes the first button. He went into the temple and began to throw out those who were selling. And and he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, you would think that he would want to kind of be a little incognito at this moment, wouldn't you? As the tension's mounting and he knows what's going on, you would think he would want to back up and be like, hey, maybe, maybe I don't disturb the peace so much. But in this moment, knowing what God was leading him to, Jesus pushes the first domino. It was what was needed in order to stir the bee's nest. It would be the push needed to incite the plotting and the politics necessary to eventually take Jesus captive's. And throughout the rest of the week after this, Jesus would teach and minister, and then Thursday. You know those days where you get up, and you know for whatever reason that today is going to be a different day? Have you ever had one of those days before? Come on, show hands. How many of you got up at one time or another, and you went, today's going to be a little bit of a different day? And you just knew it. There was something instinctual. There was something inside of you. like, today's going to be a bad day. Today's going to be a good day. Today's going to be a whatever day. It was one of those days. And I don't know if the disciples knew it or realized it, but Jesus did. And as they're walking together, Jesus instructs some of his disciples to secure a room so they could eat the Passover meal together. What I'm trying to do tonight before we take communion is and I want us to see everything that led up to this moment. Because I think what can happen so many times is in our fast-paced American Western lives we can miss the beauty and the majesty of what took place in the ordinary of jesus's day-to-day with these guys the cross holds power not just because our savior died on it but because it was the culmination of this beautiful ordinary that jesus would walk through with his disciples so he tells his disciples on on the eve of his death he tells his disciples hey go go get a room we're going to eat together And this wasn't like, hey, go get Chick-fil-A and come back. It'll be quick and easy. They would have to roast lamb, and they would have to get bitter herbs, and they they would have to find the wine and, and, and get the bread. And for the disciples, this would have been a fairly normal request at Passover. And this preparation would take from Wednesday night to Thursday night, and it wasn't a small task. But this Passover dinner would be different. We don't have full insight into the tone of everyone as they approach the table, but we do know that at least one of the disciples was coming to the table shouldering the knowledge of what he was going to do next. Judas would sit at the Passover table both as a follower and a foe. Think about that. Have you ever gone to a holiday dinner where you want to hurt the person on the other side of the table? Come on. Come <laughs> on come on somebody, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You're like, this is Good Friday, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) Look forward, Judy, look forward. (laughs) Judas would sit at the Passover table as a follower and a foe of Jesus and maybe no one else could sense what was going on but Jesus knew and Judas knew. And I think it's safe to assume that the tension was thick. So Jesus, as he typically would, speaks to the elephant in the room <laughs> and does not cut any punches. I want you to hear this piece of scripture. This is, I'm trying to bring this to life for us. Is it helping tonight? I want you to watch what happens because I want you to think about all these guys sitting at a dinner table together and they're getting like roasted lamb and herbs and wine and bread and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous and they don't realize what's happening. And watch what Jesus says. Matthew 26 verse 20. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the 12 and while they were eating, he said, truly, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Imagine that is the intro to this dinner It wasn't like, hey guys, I'm so pumped to gather with you tonight on this Passover. He said, so everyone knows? Just to kick dinner off? One of you fools is going to betray me. And deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. I mean, what else could one expect with that type of intro statement at Passover dinner? Now this is where we must focus on the inside of the Gospel of John as this writing gives us a more thorough look into what would take place during dinner and what was said, including one of the most significant and scandalous moments of the dinner. As if the cross was not going to be humiliating enough, Jesus would do something that was unheard of for a rabbi, for a teacher, for a leader, and for a king. He would wash the feet of his disciples. And in doing so, he would break the ceremonial tradition of the day. John chapter 13, verses 2 through 11. You still with me tonight? Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. What a statement. So he got up from supper, he laid aside his outer clothing, and he took a towel, and he tied it around himself. He became a servant. You know, that term servant has a lot of different connotations to it, but I want you to see what Jesus did is at this dinner table, he pushed back from the very thing that he should have been leading on that night. And instead of presiding over the table dinner, he knelt as a servant would, with a towel around his waist, ready to do something that no other king, no other priest, no other rabbi, no other teacher would think or consider doing. Next, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel tied around them. And he came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, because Peter was slow on the uptake. We're going to talk about him on Sunday. (laughs) Sorry, guys. If you haven't been, if you are a guest with us tonight, I just read the Bible for what it is, and then we got to to look at it. Sometimes we take it really serious. These guys were strange. (laughs) Jesus answered, what I am doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. You will never wash my feet. Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. (laughs) Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? So Peter got it. He's like, all right, well, let's just take a bath, all right? (laughs) One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him, and this is why he said not all of you are clean. What a moment. See, Jesus washes all of his disciples' feet, and then he launches into what is known by many as the farewell discourse. Theologians and commentaries alike would would all agree that this was the last, this crescendo of all of his teaching, and he's pointing them to understand that Jesus is about to leave them. And from this moment forward, things would begin to move at a rapid pace. The plot against Jesus would begin to take shape and come to fruition. Jesus and a few of his disciples would leave the room after this, and I'm kind of fast-forwarding a little bit through the dinner, and they would go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and this would be the place where he would pray to his father and accept the totality of this plan and purpose, and he would say these powerful words, your will be done. Because come on, we've all tried to shirk responsibility before, haven't we? Let's be honest. How many of us have engaged in selective hearing before? I do it all the time. Erica's like, hey, can you do this? Uh What? what?" My kids do it way more. Because her and I can whisper about going somewhere and they hear everything. But we could shout from the rooftops to take the dog out. And you would think they had no ears attached to their head. But Jesus, come on somebody, he doesn't shirk his responsibility. He doesn't try to get away from it. He doesn't try to hem and haw about it. He steps into it. The garden prayer in Gethsemane would take place in the late evening hours of Thursday night around midnight. Moving into Friday morning where Jesus and his disciples, after praying, would be met in the garden by a great crowd and Judas, and the match had been lit. In his book, The Life of Christ, A Study Guide to the Gospel Record, M.S. Mills writes this, we have traced the hectic pace of the events which led to the crucifixion of our Lord. In the space of six or seven hours, he was arrested appeared before six tribunals, was scourged and sentenced to death. Six to seven hours. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine getting up from this massively intense prayer and seeing the man that you had shared communion with and healed people with and walked three years with standing next to the Roman guard and the Pharisees? And the minute he was taken in six to seven hours in rapid pace, fashion, he would be tried, found guilty, although innocent, beaten beyond recognition. I need us to get this because if we miss Friday, then Sunday doesn't mean anything. We've got to stop walking past the brutality of things simply to experience the joy of things. Because if we do that, then all our faith is are hits of a high. But come on, somebody, we've got to get low before we understand the resurrection. Something has to be buried before we understand the resurrection. Something has to die before it comes back to life. But the disciples, they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't know. They didn't have worship songs telling them that resurrection happened. (laughs) The death sentence imposed matters proceeded at a comparatively leisure pace. For two to three hours, intervened between the final sentence and the start of the actual crucifixion. And this time in between was necessary to allow Jesus' time to revive some of his strength sapped by the scourging inflicted by the Gentile soldiers so that he would be, as this writer would say, a worthy victim for mankind's ultimate abuse, the crucifixion. Now, these guys were good at the crucifixion. Jesus wasn't the only one placed upon the cross. This was a very commonly used Torture apparatus. But what was different was the man on the cross. Which brings us to John 19 and verse 30. After a beating, after beating, after beating, and being placed upon this torture apparatus, John 19 verse 30 says this, when Jesus had received the sour wine... Sour wine, if you don't know, was used as a, as a way to numb the pain that was going on. After he received that, Jesus uttered these words, it is finished. Yes, to many of us who don't know, It is finished. Three words. For some of us, they don't mean anything. They hold no weight. They hold no power. But if you're like me, and you know where you've been, and you know what you've done, if you're like me, you've walked in a little shame and you've walked in some guilt, it is finished are the three greatest words you will ever hear. It's a good Friday. It may be brutal, but it's a good Friday. It may be broken, but it's still beautiful. It's a good Friday. It is finished, and some of us need to hear that tonight, because we've been living in our shame we've been living in our sin, we've been living in our guilt, and you just need to know tonight, it is finished, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. It is finished. (laughs) This is why we remember. So tonight, before we receive communion together, I want to take a look at three reasons for remembering. Because here's the truth, if we're honest in here, brutally honest, there's a lot of stuff that you and I probably want to forget. Come on, am I talking to anybody in church tonight? Is it alright if we are a community of imperfect people tonight, standing and gazing upon the cross of Christ where He says it's finished? Oh, for somebody in process like me, those are the best words I'll ever hear. So why do we remember the brutality of the cross? Why do we remember this broken moment? Why do we remember a bruised and beaten Savior? Three things. First reason we remember is so that we can examine. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, Paul the Apostle writes this, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and we're gonna do this together all in just a few moments. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And watch what Paul says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself in this way and let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. We remember so that I will pause and examine. And some of us need to examine tonight. We need to examine what's going on in here. Why are we here? What is this all about? I unapologetically would say tonight, this is what I would call a believer service. For many of us in here, this is a moment in our year where we can just wake up a little bit and examine, because before we take this bread and before we drink this cup tonight, I just need us to stop for a moment and once again ponder, where am I at in reference to you, God? See, communion is a moment to examine ourselves in light of the cross of Christ. In light of his great sacrifice and this gift given to us, Good Friday is a moment that should cause us to pause and take a look at the condition of my heart. We're going to go home tonight and we're going to pause together. I was getting my hair cut today with what's left of it. These guys know what I'm talking about right back here. And I'll tell you, I got one of the greatest privileges that I've ever been given to, I haven't even told you this. As I'm sitting there, honestly tired because I slept horribly last night. My mind's running, been prepping for this service, an Easter service, and it's gonna be a full weekend. And as I'm sitting there with a Starbucks in my hand, dazing off, thinking to myself, don't talk to me, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. Danny, if you're watching, I love you, bro. (laughs) And Danny asked me this question. He says, What do you do to get your family to focus on Jesus over these next few days? Because I need help figuring that out. And it was in that moment I was like, Okay, am I going to be real? Be honest. And I was like, bro, it's a struggle sometimes. Come on, can we talk real in church tonight? Because we're running and, and, and we're going and we can get caught up in the throes of the whole Easter celebration, but can we pause and examine? So I told them for our family, we're doing things at different times so that especially come Sunday, we can focus ourselves and our kids on what this is really about i'm gonna go home tonight and i'm gonna pause we're gonna pause and remember that it is finished and if you don't remember anything else from tonight's service remember that walk out of here today knowing it's finished watch what CS Lewis would say this is when Christ died he died for you individually just as much as if you'd been the only man or woman in the world and I think that if God forgives us we must forgive ourselves otherwise it is almost like setting up ourselves as a higher tribunal than him <laughs> And last time I checked, there is nobody in this room or in this world with greater authority than the living Savior, Jesus. There is not one person that can condemn me. There is not one person that can shame me. There is not one person that can hold something over my head. Why? Because the King of the universe said three words on that old rugged cross. He said, it is finished. Number two, we remember to repent. Revelation 3, verse 3, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. See, this is the truth is that in in the world and in the culture that we're living in, repent has become a dirty word. Come on, somebody. Even for some of us, the minute I utter that, you're like, did he just swear? <laughs> repent! Because we've heard it, it's been thrown at us in all kinds of weird ways, hasn't it? Repent! I remember back in, back in the day, like, repent or perish. Which was hard for me, because my last name's Perish. <laughs> With an A, not an E. It's this hard word But repent's actually a beautiful word cuz here's what it means. Repent simply means to turn in light of the cross and follow the one who has a better way. That's what it is to repent. And we do this because the brutality of the cross proves the brokenness of our humanity. And yet Christ still died for us. This is the gospel, it's the good news. It should bring about a response and that response is repentance. We repent before we move into taking of the body and the blood. Why, because if that's not in our minds I, if we don't understand this concept, then we don't really need to take this because it is this body and this blood that was shed for you and I and broken for you and I. And because I understand that and the gravity of it and the beauty of it, I actually say, God, I want to give you everything that I am. I am turning from my way and I want to follow your way because you gave everything for me. See, we don't repent because of guilt, but because of a gift. Am I talking to anybody tonight? We don't repent out of guilt. We repent because we just received a gift. That's what repentance is. It's deciding today that I'm following Jesus. And here's the third reason we remember is we remember in order to endure. I know this is a little bit different of a Good Friday message for some of us in here today, but if you've been around here long enough, I like to look at things just a little bit different. We remember in order to endure, listen to Hebrews chapter 10 verses 32 through 39 and then we're going to worship together and we're going to take communion together. It says this, that remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed uh, exposed to taunts and afflictions. And other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. And watch what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 35. He says, so don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we Come on, but we, but we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Why? Because we have the confidence of the finished. Work of Christ we've already won the battle the fight has been won my confidence is not in my willpower, it's not in my personal strength, it's not in my ability to work through things oh come on church we need to understand this tonight, my confidence is in the work of Christ it is finished So tonight I want to invite all of us to our feet in this moment, and I'm going to ask us to lean in to this worship moment in order to do one thing and one thing only, remember. For some of us in this moment we need to repent, for others of us we need to examine, for others of us, we need to tell our souls, keep on going. Because the truth is this we have everything that we need in the cross, it is finished.